Amen. Welcome to the online service on Wednesday nights. Pray you're well. Pray that you're healthy. And uh, we're going to be in Jeremiah's book. Last week, uh, we didn't have opportunity to do the, the service because of technology problems. When technology works, it's wonderful. When it doesn't, well, it's, that's a different story, isn't it? But uh, I pray that as you have your Bibles ready, your hearts are ready to receive God's Word. We are continuing our journey through the book of Jeremiah. So if you'll turn there in the 40th chapter of Jeremiah, and we will pick it up there at the top of the chapter in verse 1. I do want to just let you know I got a few quick announcements to be made. Check your e-bulletins for all the latest information here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. And uh, it's updated every week. And also there is uh, different things on there. It seems like different updates every week. So make sure that you check it out. It usually goes out on either Thursday or on Friday. And you can look for the updated e-bulletin coming in your email. So if you do not get an e-bulletin, you would like to get one. Call the church office. We'll get you in contact with the right people that will tell you and show you and explain to you how it is that you can uh, download the e-bulletin. And guys, um, is it the e-bulletin? Is there instructions on the website, calvarychapelgreeley.org? Is that still up there? Yeah, it still is. So you can look at the website, and that will help you as well. But these guys work very hard in keeping everything up to date on technology and, and what's going on here at the church. And uh, we live in a technological world right now. And uh, so that is all available for you. But do call us if you got any questions. And we want to help you and be a blessing to you in that way. We have been, for the last four months, we've had outdoor services in that we started at the end of May to the end of August just doing outdoor services uh, during the summer, and, and that was a blessing when we began to do in-person services on Sunday morning. And then as we brought things back inside uh, this month in September, we're closing September. We're going to be moving into uh, August, and uh, it's been a tremendous blessing uh, to be able to do that and to start up children's ministry and the nursery as well. And we had provided a, a place outside as we had the big screen TV and a speaker. We are no longer going to be doing that as we move into cool uh, season of the you know fall and, and eventually into winter. And winter can happen at any time. We saw that in the beginning of September. Matter of fact, on Sunday, it was very cool. It was windy. So we're going to go ahead and stop doing that. Uh, but we will be inside here. You can register for services at calvarychapelgreeley.org and register your children as well. And we pray that uh, you come and see us uh, as the Lord leads you and you are able to do that. And uh, we always, of course, welcome all of you that are listening online on Sunday mornings as you can listen online as well to uh, our services. So we are blessed by that. Um, again, look at your e-bulletin for weekly schedule, other things that are taking place. But uh, we want to be in our Bible study, so Lord, we do pray that you would bless this time in the study of your word. Uh, as we go through the book of Jeremiah, it, it's so relevant for us today. 
And I do ask that you would touch our hearts with your word, that you would instruct us, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us where we need convicting. Lord, do that work that you want to do. And your word is alive. It's, it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we commit this time to you in the study of your word and how we need your word more than ever before uh, for our own lives and then also in the days in which we're living in. So please, Lord, as we uh, go through this, help us be attentive, and uh, we just commit this time to you in the study of your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So as we have seen now that the destruction of Jerusalem has come, there is two major destructions of Jerusalem in history. This is the first one that took place in 586 B.C. As you recall that uh, it is Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire that is encompassing the whole known world, uh, that they would come in, first of all, in 605 B.C., and the captivity would begin. We know that Jeremiah would prophesy and say to the people that the captivity is going to last for 70 years. And at 70 years, in Jeremiah chapter 29, the Lord says, I will come and visit my people. And and we know that at that time that the Babylonian Empire would be replaced by another empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. So as you put Jeremiah together and also the book of Daniel, because keep in mind that in that first uh, wave of uh, captivity that took place in 605 B.C., that it was uh, uh, Daniel and the choice men of Judah that were taken away into captivity. And that was prophesied by Isaiah 200 years before it even happened to uh, Hezekiah, who was reigning during that time. Hezekiah was one of the godly kings, but we know that Isaiah would come to him. And as we read in chapter 39, as the Babylonian envoys had come to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah showed them everything in the kingdom, that it was Isaiah that said, the day's going to come when the, you are going to see the choice men of Judah taken off in the captivity and the treasuries of the temple, the things that you showed those Babylonian envoys. And we know that at that time that Hezekiah did that, that they were a small empire, the, the uh, world empire at that time that uh, was on the scene was the Assyrians. And here are the prophets that had come to God's people. We know that after the reign of David and then his son Solomon, that Rehoboam came on the scene and, and the nation would split into the house of Israel uh, up north, the ten northern tribes, and then the house of Judah down south. And they began to turn to idol worship. Matter of fact, Solomon was one that it reintroduced idol worship back into the land as he was burning incense to those foreign gods because he had married foreign wives. And we see that the ten northern tribes were, was uh, deep into idol worship from the very beginning, that they broke away from the house of Judah. And we see that it went from bad to worse, and they would go off into captivity in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. And it would be then that Jerusalem was spared by the Assyrians, as you read there in the book of Isaiah. We covered that in our previous studies. As you read in uh, 
chapter 37 of Isaiah, that an angel came as the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem, and Hezekiah and the leaders, they uh, put on sackcloth and ashes. They went into the house of the Lord, and they fasted, and they prayed, and called out to the Lord. And the Lord sent an angel to kill 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. So the Assyrians at that time, as Shennacherib would go back to uh, Assyria, he ended up being killed. It began, that empire, to decline in power. Babylon began to increase in power. And in 605 B.C., as Daniel went off into captivity, you read the book of Daniel, and you see he's being used of the Lord in a powerful way to serve the, the most powerful man on the face of the earth at this time that we're reading, and that is King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel is in Babylon, as well as Ezekiel, when he was carried off in a second deportation in 597 B.C. But then Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar comes and destroys the city, destroys the magnificent temple, Solomon's temple. And as you read it, those historical books of Second Chronicles, of First Kings, you see how magnificent that temple was. And, and here comes Nebuchadnezzar, and he destroys it. He levels Jerusalem, and, and they would only have the poorest of the land. And that's what we covered last time, as we saw in chapter 39 of Jeremiah, the fall of Jerusalem. And it was warned to the people and to the leaders and to the religious leaders who were speaking falsely during this time that Jeremiah is ministering, that this is going to happen if you rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Zedekiah the king was warned, if you rebel against him, there's going to be destruction and death like you've never seen before. But if you submit to the king, you'll, you'll still be under his rule. But Nebuchadnezzar will allow you to live and the city won't be destroyed. And we really see what happens when we rebel against the word of the Lord. And as we ignore the word of the Lord, it, it causes devastation and destruction and, and really death to our spiritual life. Uh, if we continue to do that, if we continue to ignore. And that's one of the major lessons that we see here in the book of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who is speaking to a nation that is dying spiritually. And I can't help but think about that the prophets before, you know, that had come and, and, and Jeremiah had told the people that the Lord has sent his prophets to you early in the morning, but yet you follow the dictates of your evil heart. Uh, the false prophets, you're receiving them of a false message that they are giving and a false hope that they give to you. They were saying, oh, the captivity is not going to last very long uh, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall. But that was false. And so the Lord here continuing to reach out during all this time. I think about Isaiah. Isaiah, who was prophesying about 740 B.C., he uh, would minister for between 40 and 50 years. And Isaiah, he was speaking initially in the first about 20 years of his ministry to the house of Israel that would fall to the Assyrians. And then they would go off into captivity. And then he continued to minister to the house of Judah. And he would say that Judah, you should have learned from Israel the sins that they committed, how they rebelled against the Lord. Look what's happened. Just as the Lord said it would happen, but yet they continue to ignore. It would be Isaiah that was taken uh, in about 
you know, 696 BC, around there. When Manasseh comes on the scene, Manasseh was the worst king of Judah, and he ruled the longest. He ruled for 55 years, and then his son for another two years. So nearly 60 years, we see that the nation was plunged deep into idol worship. That is the house of Judah. And, and they were involved in every kind of false worship, occultic kind of practices. They were sacrificing their own children on the arms of Moloch in the Gehenna Valley. Uh, they, were, they were just so far from God. They were involved in immorality, in violence, and, and the sins of the nation are listed here in Jeremiah. And we see that during that time, that gap between Isaiah, and by the way, Isaiah, it is believed historically, was killed by Manasseh. Manasseh took Isaiah and sawed him in half. We know that Hebrews chapter 11 says to you and to me, in that hall of faith, that there are those who are sawn in half. It does not mention Isaiah specifically, but it is believed that's a reference to him. He was sawn in half, and then there's that gap about 60 years uh, that before Jeremiah comes on the scene. And he would come on the scene when Josiah, the last of the godly kings, is ruling in, in Judah. And he brings reforms and tries to bring revival to the land. And even though it was spiritual reforms as he cleaned the temple, the book of the law was found, it was read to him, and he tore his clothes, and he said, so wonder we're going through difficulties because we've ignored the law of God, the, the word of God. And so he calls for reforms to take place and establish uh, temple worship again and got rid of all the false places of worship and the idols, and he would uh, restore the Passover. Uh, it was a great move of, of God that uh, Josiah is... Um, you know, uh, in charge of, but a lot of it was in pretense. We even see that Jeremiah writes about that, that you're, you're coming to me in pretense. Uh, that idol stuff was still in their hearts because when Josiah died in 609 B.C., they fell right back into idol worship. And, and of course, we have looked at the last four kings of Judah that would lead eventually to what we read here in chapter 39, the destruction of Jerusalem think there's a very important lesson because remember that Paul would write to the Corinthian believers that these stories here are not just for historical you know references and this is historically accurate but they're for our admonition they're to teach us lessons and that's what Paul said the, the Old Testament stories are there for us to learn from and, and they say that um, that you know, we can learn from people's mistakes or we can learn from history. And, and certainly it is written for us to know this. And this is what the Bible declares from beginning to end, that if we follow the dictates of our evil hearts and we go our own way and, and we continue in sin and ignore God's word and his ways, that there's going to be devastating consequences that will happen to us. And you see, it not only affects us, but affects a whole lot of people that are linked to us in our lives. It brings hurt, and it, it brings uh, to where relationships are strained and severed. It brings serious consequences and repercussions, and, and we know that to be true. So it's a loving father that says, don't 
go off into sin. Don't continue. And if the Lord convicts us of sin, and he does it because of his love for us. He does it because he wants to get us on the right track. He wants us to confess it, to be in agreement with it. And Lord, we know that, as your word says, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ, the incredible grace of God is so wonderful but we need to truly repent and begin to follow after him. And that's the Lord's desire. And he did not give up on his people. He warned them. He warned them. And Jeremiah here has been ministering for about 40 years. And his ministry is about ready to come to an end. But he's not quite done. And we're going to see that, that the Lord's going to continue to use Jeremiah in, uh, as Jerusalem laid in rubble. Now, keep in mind that the, there's a few people left in the land. Only the poor of the land are going to be left to work it, to work the fields, and uh, to be able to feed you know, the soldiers that are there and, and take care of the land. But I want to remind you of chapter 39 uh, there in verses 11 and 12 that Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan the captain of the guard saying take him and look after him and do him no harm but do to him just as he says to you so here the instructions are given by Nebuchadnezzar now as you read the book of Daniel and I think this is worth uh, mentioning to you in our study that you get further information about King Nebuchadnezzar he had an absolute monarchy. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, whatever he said, became law. As soon as those words left his mouth, it was law. And if he changed his mind five minutes later, then it could be changed. The law could be changed. You don't see that so much in the Medo-Persian Empire, who defeats the Babylonians um, uh, in 539 B.C., 538 B.C., around there. You read about that in Daniel chapter 5. But as uh, Nebuchadnezzar was ruling, uh, you see that example in Daniel chapter 3 in the story of the burning, fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Many of us are, are very familiar with that story. And here is Nebuchadnezzar. He makes an image all made of gold, and he commands the people to bow down to that image. And if you don't, you'll be thrown into burning, fiery furnace. And, of course, those three Hebrew young men said, we're not going to do it. So he throws them into the fire. Uh, he looks, and he sees that there's four, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he changed his mind. He said, your God is truly, you know, God. And he's a great fireman. And he made a decree that everyone should, you know, turn to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he was a hothead. Uh, he would put you to death. Just like that, uh, he, he was putting the wise men to death of Babylon that made him upset uh, because they could not tell the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and the interpretation of the dream. And, and so Daniel would, of course, pray, and, and he would come up with the dream, the interpretation of the dream. But he began to kill the wise men. He said, I'm going to put you to death and, and all of this. So Nebuchadnezzar was a, a very, very powerful king, that uh, would not be afraid to put you to death. And for him to come and say that you take care of Jeremiah, uh, look after him, do him no harm, do just as he says to you, I wonder why would Nebuchadnezzar do that? And I just suspect the Bible doesn't say 
But I suspect that perhaps that maybe Daniel had something to do with that. Daniel knew of Jeremiah. Daniel, matter of fact, mentions Jeremiah in his book in Daniel chapter 9. He believed Jeremiah was a prophet of God. And Daniel found favor with Nebuchadnezzar, especially you see that after Daniel uh, chapter 2. And I just wonder if Daniel said, hey, can you take care of Jeremiah? Uh, Can you uh, take care of him? Perhaps that was in play here. We don't know for sure. But Nebuchadnezzar says, take care of him. And then in chapter uh, 40, as we read, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah when he had taken him bound in chains among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and Judah who were carried away captive to Babylon. So here, Nebuzaradan, he is the one that's overseeing the army, and the captives uh, there uh, would uh, be taken to to Ramah, where it's a staging area north of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, when we go to Jerusalem, that we go to this this hill that overlooks the Temple Mount, overlooks the old city of Jerusalem. When we first come up into the city, it's such a special time, and, and we do this uh, special thing of, of being welcomed to Jerusalem and, and um, a, a toast that's traditional, but it's called Mount Scopus. And it was a mount that you can see over to the old city of Jerusalem, but also if you walk over a little ways, then you can see clear down in the Jordan Valley. You can see down to Jericho. You can see the Dead Sea. And then to the north, about six miles, it is the city of Ramallah. Now, Ramallah is kind of the headquarters of the West Bank. So everything's really close there. And here is this place, Ramah, where today it's Ramallah, that they had this staging area where they would take the captives and they would sort them and then take them off to captivity to Babylon. And can you imagine that? Families being separated, you know, young people taken like Daniel, who was only 17 years old when he was taken off into captivity. And, and we know that he would never come back to his homeland again. He probably never saw his family again. Uh, these are very difficult times. And again, I want to remind you that when we sin or we're in disobedience, just as Zedekiah, Zedekiah, do not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And, and yet he did. And Zedekiah was taken to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar had his two sons killed right before his eyes. The last thing that Zedekiah saw was his family being killed, his two sons. And then they poked out Zedekiah's eye and took him off into captivity. And that's what sin will do. It will blind you. It will bind you. It it will hold you in captivity and bring a lot of sorrow and sadness into your life. So here is Jeremiah, who is obedient to the Lord, and, and he, they are saying, hey, Nebuzaradan, take care of him. So they're at the staging area, and somehow, I don't know if it seemed like uh, that Jeremiah got in that group that's going to the staging area. Remember, they don't have texting and email and telephones and all of that, so probably that message got to Nebuchadnezzar a little bit, you know, took time and for him to tell his guys. But Jeremiah ends up going off to Ramah 
in this stationary departure. In verse 2, the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place. Now the Lord has brought it and has done just as he said, because you people have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. I think verses 2 and 3 are remarkable verses because we see that Nebuzaradan, he is you know, a Babylonian leading the armies against you know, Jerusalem. It's amazing how he says, your people didn't listen to the Lord. And now this disaster has come upon, you know, you guys because of that. I find that intriguing because Nebuchadnezzar didn't say, you know, you guys went into captivity and Jerusalem was destroyed because we're big and bad and mean and all of this. He's saying because you guys were disobedient. Here is Babylon exposing the sins of Judah. And all through these years, you know, hundreds of years that we see that God's people rejected the message of turn back to him, to the house of Israel, to the house of Judah. And we saw Isaiah on the scene for 50 years nearly, uh, Jeremiah for the last 40 years. Uh, they refused to turn to him. And here is this, this uh, guard, this, this soldier uh, that says that you were destroyed, your city, and this devastation has come upon you because you disobeyed the Lord. You know, I, I think it's that it's sad when the world exposes the sin of the church and the sin of Christians. Because, see, non-Christians, listen, when we say that we are a Christian, they know in a lot of ways how it is that we're supposed to be. How can you say that you're a Christian and you speak that way? You're using corrupt words or uh, you're cursing. How can you say that you're a Christian and you're being dishonest? How can you say that you're a Christian and you're going out partying and, and drinking and doing drugs and all of this? And, and it's sad when the world or the people of the world expose Christians when they are in sin. And listen, we cannot be involved in the sins of the world and the carnality of the world and expect to evangelize the world. We cannot be involved in the sins of the world, in the carnality of the world, and expect to evangelize the world. And as we continue in verse 4, And now look, I fear you from this day, from the chains that were on your hand. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come and, and I will look after you. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, remain here. See, all the land is before you, wherever it seems good and convenient for you to go Go there. And now while Jeremiah had not yet gone back. So here is, you know, the captain of the guard saying to Jeremiah, listen, Jeremiah, you're free. If you want to go back to Babylon, let's go back to Babylon. I'll take care of you. I will treat you well. And again, this is a sad commentary on what was taking place in Judah before this time and, and God's people because Babylon treats Jeremiah better than his own people did. And the captain of the guard says, go with me to Babylon. I will see that you're taken care of. Or if you'd like, stay here with Gedaliah and Jeremiah as we see while Jeremiah had not yet gone back. Jeremiah is going to stay here as we're going to see as we continue in the chapter. Now, I think about if I was in Jeremiah's sandals, what would I have said? 
Uh, I think that I would have been very tempted to say, you know what, I'm going to go back to Babylon, go hang out with my buddy Daniel for a little bit, maybe see Ezekiel, you know, kind of kick back. You're going to take care of me. I am now officially in retirement. Jeremiah could have very easily have said that, especially the way that he was treated as we saw that he was beaten, he was mocked, he was persecuted, he was dropped into a cistern in the muck and the mire, and, and he was ignored. Uh, the difficulties of 40 years that he has gone through in his ministry. And he just said, you know, I am done. I did my ministry. Jerusalem is destroyed now. The people rebelled. I don't have any more to give to the people. But Jeremiah, for whatever reason, he stays in Jerusalem. And I believe that he knew that that was God's will for him to do. And it's not going to get any easier for Jeremiah, as we're going to see as we continue through this book in the next couple of chapters. You know, I know that sometimes that I think, Lord, I want to be comfortable. And the Lord says, no, don't forget about your calling. I just want to, to kick back, put it in cruise control. You know, there are seasons where we need to rest. There are seasons where we are going to have a change. But I hope and pray that Jeremiah here really touches our hearts of, Lord, where do you want me? And maybe you want me in a place that isn't easy. Maybe that you want me here, even though that I can do something else that would be much more easier. You see, Jeremiah, remember that in chapter 1, that he was from the priesthood family. It would have been a lot easier for him to be a priest than to be a prophet. Because the priest, you just went through the ceremonies, the rituals, you did your duties, and then you went home. The prophet, you saw that he was persecuted very heavily. He had to walk all the way to Euphrates River and bury a sash and then... And come back and then go back and get it and put it around his waist and walk through the city of Jerusalem and for uh, an illustration of how uh, the you know nation had become corrupt spiritually and decaying just like that sash did and and so it was harder to be a prophet so Jeremiah he knew the calling of God he stayed there in Judah he's going to stay there knowing that Daniel's often to Babylon as well Ezekiel Perhaps that had an influence, but he has a shepherd heart, and he remained in the land to minister to those who would be there. As we continue in verse 5, Nebuzaradan then said, Go back to Gedaliah, the son of Anakim, the son of Saphan, whom the king of Babylon has made governor over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people. Or go wherever it seems convenient for you to go. So the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift and let him go. So Jeremiah, go back. Now go back to where Gedaliah. Gedaliah is now the governor that has been set over uh, the, the land there. Um, he could have gone anywhere. He could have got a little cabin up there in the Samaritan Mountains. It's very beautiful up there. And uh, as you go into northern Israel, some of the places almost look like Colorado. Um, he, he could have done that, but he didn't do that as well. And so he's given gifts and rations. In verse 6, Jeremiah went to Gedaliah and to Mitzpah and dwelt with him among the people who were left in the land. So Mitzpah is now the place where kind of the headquarters here where the Jews are going to gather together and uh, he's going to go there, be with Gedaliah. But as we read in verse 7, and when all the captains of the armies who were in the fields 
They and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor in the land and had committed to him men, women, children, and the poorest of the land who had not been carried away captive to Babylon. Then they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, and the guys that came to him were Ishmael and Johanna, uh, Sarahiah, uh, and uh, also uh, Jezaniah. These guys come, their son, uh, they and their men. So what we see here is that there are a group of Jews that had been hiding during the siege of Jerusalem and Judah. And they're going to come to get a lie to governor and say, you know, what's going to happen to us? Uh, the, the poorest of the land, verse 7, had been left, again, not carried away to Babylon. They're going to take care of the land. These guys come and they said, um, you know, to Gedaliah as they do. In verse 9, Gedaliah uh, took an oath before them and their men saying, do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans, dwell in the land, and serve the king of Babylon, and it will be well with you. As for me, I will indeed dwell at Mitzpah, serve the Chaldeans who come to us, but you gather wine and summer fruit and oil, put them in your vessels, and dwell in your cities that you have taken. And likewise, when all the Jews who were in Moab among the Ammonites and Edom, who were in all the countries, heard that the king of Babylon had a remnant of Judah, that he had set over them Gedaliah, the son of Saphon. Then all the Jews returned out of their places where they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah Mitzpah and gathered wine and summer fruit in their abundance. So they're asking, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to us if we come back? A remnant of them were on the east side of the Jordan River. And if we come back, are we going to be killed? Is Nebuchadnezzar going to come against us? Uh, what's going to take place? And Gedaliah says, listen, if you come back, dwell in the land, just serve the Chaldeans uh, like I am going to here at Mizpah, it will be all well with you. And you can enjoy the fruit of the land. And it's really a good deal. You will gather wine and summer fruit and oil, verse 10. Put them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that you have taken. And, and we read in verse 12, gather wine and summer fruit in abundance. It will be well with you. It sounds like a pretty good deal. It sounds like a better deal than being carried off to Babylon, never to see your homeland again. So, so here, this is a reasonable, you know, uh, request. Just come and don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. That was what was told to them before the destruction of Jerusalem, and they ignored it. So the people come back, this remnant of people come back, and they're at Mitzpah here. And, and as we read in verse 8, these, these individuals that are there, two of them to take note of, one is Ishmael, that is listen, and he comes from the royal line of David, uh, one of the officers of Zedekiah, again, the last king before Jerusalem is destroyed. And we're going to see what he does here in the next chapter. And then Johanan, we don't know much about him, but we're going to see where he plays a role in, in this incident that we see, this insurrection against Gedaliah that we will go into next time in the chapter 41. But these two individuals that you're going to see. So the Lord really has brought blessing to these individuals. You're going to be at peace, dwell in the land. You're going to be able to gather in abundance what is summer fruit and wine and in abundance. And, and fruit speaks about... You know, just uh, God's provision. Wine speaks about, you know, joy. You have opportunity for that. And listen, as we just follow the Lord, 
that there will be great joy in our hearts. Do you know that? There's a great joy in just following the Lord and living after him. And the Lord provides for us, and he works on our behalf. And what did they do? Well, we read in verse 13, Moreover, Johanna, the son of, of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to get Eliah at Mitzpah and said to him, uh, Do you certainly know that Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to, to murder you? But Gedaliah did not believe them. So we see here that as there's starting to be some stability in the land and, and they can live in peace, Johanna comes to the governor and he says to him that the king of the Amorites, who doesn't want to you know, submit to you, doesn't want to submit to Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar, is conspiring with Ishmael to kill you. And we see that Gedaliah didn't believe it as we read in verse 14. He did not believe them. Ah, oh, that's not going to happen. And Johanna, as we continue reading, uh, would speak secretly to Gedaliah in verse 15 in Mitzpah, saying, Let me go, please, and I will kill Ishmael, the son um, of Nethaniah, and no one will know it. And why should he murder you so that all the Jews who are gathered to you would be scattered and the remnant in Judah perish? In other words, he's saying, let me take care of this. Let me go and kill Ishmael before he kills you because we're just starting to see some stability in the land. We're just starting to to see that, uh, you know, we're, we're getting settled and things are pretty good, he's going to ruin everything because if he comes and kills you, then the Jews are going to be afraid. They're going to scatter us here, and we're going to see exactly that's what happens as well. And, and you know, Babylon's going to come in with vengeance. So let me take care of him. But we see Gedaliah, as we read the end of the chapter, uh, would say to Johanna, you shall not do this thing, for you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. As Gedaliah said, oh, no. And I'm sure that when Ishmael came and these guys initially to Gedaliah, that we see that I'm sure that Ishmael buttered up Gedaliah. Oh, you, you know, you're the governor. You're wonderful. You know, seemed so friendly. He was very deceptive. And here is Gedaliah, that he was naive to think that this isn't going to happen, this conspiracy to kill him. It's not going to happen. So he's going to open up the doors. We go into chapter 41 next time for you know, himself to be killed. He's going to have dinner with Ishmael. He's going to have his guard down. He's not going to be paying attention. And it's going to have dire consequences for that remnant that came to Mitzpah. Uh, again, it just seems like that we see the picture of what rebellion does and disobedience does, you know, to not only the individuals that are a part of, of that sin, but the people that are linked to them uh, in their lives. And here's the thing. I think as we close here tonight, and we are going to close here tonight at this time, but I think that that we got to be careful that we're not naive to think that the enemy doesn't want to come against us and do us in and wipe us out because he does. You know, Satan is a master deceiver and he comes along and, and he'll deceive you and, and he'll begin to butter you up. He'll begin to put you in a place where your guard is down and everything's okay he is a master counterfeiter. He, he's the father of lies. 
but he's out to destroy our lives. He's out to destroy you. He wants to destroy your walk with the Lord, your effectiveness for the Lord. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to bring, um, you know, destruction to your family. He, he wants to come at your kids. And he's very subtle. He's very good. And, and he may pull you into something that it seems like this is good, it's okay. Because remember that when Paul was writing to the Corinthians in Second Corinthians, that he said concerning uh, Satan that he's an angel of light. He's an angel of light, trans, you know, transforming himself into an angel of light. And his you know, ministers are ministers of, you know, of evil. Uh, and um, they are ones that they will come along and they will deceive you. And, uh, and we know that uh, Satan has nothing good for any of us. But he will come along and what seems like light to us is really darkness. And what seems like feels good is going to bring destruction to us. And we need to be careful. Don't be naive to think that the enemy is not going to try to get a foothold into your life. So we are told to put on the whole armor of God because spiritual warfare is very real. And I think that especially today in the season that we're in and and the challenges that we're facing before all of us here during this time, that we can begin to, to look for solutions and, and we begin to, you know, put our guard down and how can I get out of this? And Satan, you know, Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? In other words, remember that he took Jesus up on the mountain and he said, I'll give you the whole world if you bow down and worship me. Now, I know as a Christian you're going, I- I'm not going to worship Satan, but he will offer you things to bring light to you and say this is the answer, and we need to always filter everything through the word of God. And we are to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So I think that we need to be wise because there's a lot of voices that are out there. There are a lot of things that are out there that can deceive us and pull us into darkness. And he is a master deceiver. And don't think that the Lord, uh, don't think that that is Satan will use those things. He will to, to just devastate your walk with the Lord and, and get a foothold into your life. So the answer is that we are to test all things all, you know, everything through the word of God. Test the spirits to see if they are of God is what John would write because many false prophets have gone out, many false teachers, the enemies at work. So we need to test everything through the word of God, the word of God being our final authority. And what we have seen in this book here uh, in Jeremiah, particularly over the last couple of weeks, is that as we just take heed to the word of God, that there's joy, there's blessing, there's provision for you and for me. And, and he's going to take care of us. But if we follow the dictates of our evil hearts, you know, or worldly hearts, or go after the flesh, then the consequences can be great. And there is the enemy that desires to lead us in that direction to deceive us and do us in. Gedaliah, his guard was down. And I want to say this, don't let your guard down. Keep your guard up. Continue to walk with the Lord closely. Stay, uh, you know, uh, being sensitive to the leading of the Lord and to the word of the Lord in your life. And as Proverbs chapter 1 says, that there's safety and security in God's wisdom. So, Father, we thank you. As we end this chapter, and we thank you for today's lesson, and I pray that you would help us to keep uh, close to you. 
we know that the enemy is at work. We know that the enemy uh, desires to deceive us. And you've given us your word because there's safety, there is security in your word. There is blessing. There is uh, direction as given to us. There is wisdom uh, that is given to us. So, Lord, I just thank you that we can look to you in every way uh, and we can be safe, that we can, Lord, just know that you're with us and you love us and you're going to guide us into truth. So, Lord, help us to test the spirits, uh, to just run everything through you, uh, through your word, knowing that the enemy, Satan, is, uh, you know, transforms himself into an angel of light and um, we know that uh, his workers are transforming themselves into that was deceiving as well. Lord, um, I pray for us that we would realize that your word is true for us always. And even though things seem difficult right now or challenging or uncertain, we can come and, and trust in your word and rest in your promises. And Lord, that we would follow after you wholeheartedly, knowing that your ways are right and they are true. And there, Lord, is blessing. So help us to be continuing in your word and taking your word and working it deep within our hearts because we know that's truly God's wisdom, not just knowing it, but having it worked out. And Lord, I pray that you bless everyone here. Lord, as we head into another month here and uh, we're entering into fall and a different season, Lord, I'm sure that people are tired right now and they're exhausted and this has been a challenging year, uh, challenging months. And, and in some way, it, we wonder, when is it going to end, uh, the pandemic and and in everything else that we see going on around us. And I just pray that you give us a peace that passes understanding. Lord, that you truly would help us to know that there is a glorious end to all this, and that is going home to be with you. And that we are a blessed people. That even though times are perilous and, and the days are dark around us, that we have light to give to others that we have a wonderful future, that you are, even as Jeremiah said to the captives, that your thoughts towards us are thoughts, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give us a future and a hope, that we keep our eyes on you, trust in you, and rest in your love. Bless everyone here. We're looking forward to meeting on Sundays. We continue Matthew's gospel. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Good night. Have a good rest of the week. Lord willing, we'll see you on Sunday.